So what up, what up, what up, everybody uh, out in the virtual world? Uh, my name is Jesus Azteca 500 Sanchez. And in the building, we have Rafael Scheme Navarro Jr. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, welcome. Welcome. Thank you, brother. He is a proud founder of Beats and Bars, which is a program that has functioned within Chicago Public Schools. He develops artists to produce, to record music, to become hip-hop artists. He also has started Loop Theory. Yes, sir. It's a management company. It's a management company, and he has some really, really talented people that are that are coming out of that. Yes, sir. Uh, he got introduced to hip-hop at an early age. He also has a degree that specializes in work with children with autism as well as teens and behavioral health issues and you know ever since i've known him we we, we used to work at the same school yes, sir. and we used to pass each other all the time i definitely wanted to link up with you yeah. but i was like so busy doing a whole bunch of same brother craziness it was a common respect but it was just just things didn't align for whatever reason yeah, yeah. and it was just like yo i i knew that you were on some yeah i really wanted to build but now we're in the we're in the when same room and we're building now so definitely so yeah uh, i really appreciate you i appreciate Appreciate the work that you've done with young people. Thank you, bro. This is a little taste of scheme. Soy Chicano. Nacido aquí, born here, con sueños de allá, dreaming of there. I am a child of this country, the steps in of another. Born a Chicano, cause I am a different color. And there's no place I can really call my own. The whites never liked me, and my people sent me home. So I am here in the bottomless well. Free falling in a race that will never excel. The son of immigrants just following a dream. A dream that many follow, but they swallow in the scheme. The things, cause ain't no promise in tomorrow. A lot of people hunger for the mighty US dollar. That's what's up. Well, welcome to the 500 and Growing Podcast. You know, how did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Where did you grow up? I know that you said the West Side. But yeah, for sure, man. Uh, I was born in Humble Park. So in the region. So right, right on in the middle of Humble Park. Um, grew up uh, uh, like Bucktown, Wicker Park area in the early 80s. Uh, and then moved out to Hermosa in the early 90s, you could say. Um, just not the best of neighborhoods, you know, at that time. Uh, but you know, my parents had came from Mexico a couple of years prior to me being born here. Uh, so, you know, again, you, you stay where family's at, you know, we lived on the same, you know, same apartment building than my other cousins did, you know, just, you kind of fall where the rest of the family's at, whoever came over here. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, but outside of that, man, I, I had a, beautiful family i have a beautiful family i've been blessed with a mother and father uh that have shown us uh, by example how to just be decent human beings uh i have three beautiful sisters that uh, older sisters that have also uh just uh, have been examples of what women you know should be uh great mothers great wives in, in that way as well um at least for me you know the way i see them and uh i was uh, diagnosed with a blood disorder at about three years old. So that shifted my life a lot. Um, I was sick from about three to 11 years old. 
um, in and out the hospital. I didn't have like a regular school schedule because I was always in and out the hospital. Uh, but that made me appreciate life in general because uh, I saw a lot of shorties at the hospital that had worse conditions than I had. Yeah. Uh, shorties that were in the playroom one week and then the next week they weren't anymore. Right. So you start realizing wow. mortality a lot sooner than you, you know, than you, you, you see it in the street stuff. But then like seeing it like that is it, it was a little bit uh, even at that time I could I could understand it in a way even if i probably didn't fully understand it but it impacted me more like when i would say oh what happened to that kid and they're like well you know something you know they're not here anymore or whatever uh you know i guess the mentality was always like oh well the shorties that are out there even though i've grown to 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 know different now that i'm older uh, they're choosing to be out there right so it's like it's, it's by yeah. choice so if something happens to them it's like it's, a consequence yeah, it's a consequence it? right so you kind of like it's messed up but but then when you see shorties who didn't ask for this, who are sick, who have leukemia, have other things, it just, it was eye-opening for me at an early age, right? To understand that there was other things, right? So then when I finally was cured from that at 11, uh, I was very appreciative just to be here. And I still am. Like, I'm just, I always told myself anything after that was just icing on the cake. Like, I'm good. So that is why I think I just have been as stubborn as I have with everything in my life. I always told myself I wasn't going to do anything I didn't want to do. Yeah, I wasn't going to waste my time on doing stuff I didn't want to do. Like, again, I was left here. I was put here for, for something, right? Because I went through a lot when I was younger. Uh, I could have let all that get to me, right? I, I My sister tells me, like, she remembers me being younger and, like, being depressed, right? Yeah. I don't recall that. I was too young, right? But she's like, I could tell that you had a lot going on. I'm five, six, seven. You know, like, I don't know what's going on in my world like that. Uh, but she's like that she knew that I was, I was, I would carry heavy you know, so it's like I was going through that. And so I could have taken that and been and hold that as a grudge or be upset that most of my childhood was spent in like hospitals and all this other stuff. But I never saw it like that. I don't know. I just always was, again, grateful. Like I was grateful that my mom was able to take me to the hospital every time I needed to go yeah. to the hospital. We didn't live in a country where I couldn't get access to that. I was blessed that my dad had a job that he, had, he was able to get insurance. You know, he couldn't go to every appointment with us because he was at, you know, making his, his, you know, making sure we had what we needed. But, I mean, I was blessed to have support, you know, from my family through all that. Um, and it just showed me a whole different side of life, man, just honestly. I mean, it gave me a whole different perspective. So you were real mature at a real young age? I think so. I just, again, I think I just, I was I was quiet at the beginning. Like, I was just to myself. I think, again, just uh, understanding a lot of this that was going on to me. Um, but... Yeah, I think just in general, I just, my perspective on life was just very different. Like I just, I was careful. I would think twice about doing certain things. I was just, uh, it saved me from being a knucklehead sometimes because I would have to think twice. Maybe some of the dumb stuff my boys were doing, I couldn't risk doing it because if I got hurt, it could be I really, you know, I, they're jumping fences. I jump one of those fences and I hurt myself and that bruise turned to a blood clot and I end up at the hospital and... and I had to think twice about it. And yeah, yeah. We, I did dumb stuff when I was a shorty, yeah. but I it made me think twice about certain things that we had, that was happening because I was like, wait, I can't, you know, I, I can risk it. And not only that, but my real brothers, my real homies respected that and they understood that. They understood what I was going through and that made me, I guess now that I just love them in a way that I, you know, now as we've are grown men and they're still part of my life, it's just like that they accepted me for... And, the four or five brothers that I had that still stuck with me never, now that I think never of it, never questioned it. Never even, like, Yo, we... yeah, I would go, I'd be out of school for weeks or whatever and I'll come back and it was just like nothing. Like, those were my boys. And so, again, it makes you appreciate that those type of relationships. 
because then you had the other kids who were like, well, well you ain't never here. Well, you know, now you here in school and now what are you doing? And I'm just picking on you because it's like I was out of five days out of the week, I was probably there maybe one or two. You know what I mean? Uh, so then they're like, well, why is he not ever here? Why is, you know, so, and then, so I never really had like, at least early on, like no consistency. Right. Because yeah. it was always like I could be good for a little bit. Then I got sick and I would be out for a couple of weeks and then I'll be back or if they had to do some treatments or bro. I went everywhere. I went to Mexico. My mom tried everything. My mom and dad, we went everywhere to try the natural remedies. I mean, they went my cousins. My mom was just telling me last night. She's like, your cousins went. I don't know where to some place to get some awa. They, I don't know what to bring to you. I mean, they tried everything under the sun for me. For and sure. uh, again, it, it just taught me just how selfless your parents could be. Uh, I now as a parent could only imagine what my mom had to go through seeing her son you know I would literally every time I went I would you know get IVs and just this whole a lot of treatments and stuff done like I could go to my, with my daughter to a regular checkup and I'm I took Your it to the dentist last time you know and I'm saying? like, yeah, like, I had to do a little shot. Bad. Exactly. So now I'm like, man, my mom had to live that through with me. Again, at the moment, I'm not understanding that, right? But you're like, that hurts to see your child go through those type of things. And so, For sure. again, man, much respect to them. And so, yeah, I think it just, it made me appreciate, you know, just life in general. It made me a little more mature earlier yeah. on than maybe my peers at the time. Uh, and yeah, just an overall different perspective, I think, on life. Uh, and it also made me conscious of like a lot of times as I got older where people are like, oh, this like as far as once they get married or once they decide to have children or whatever, that it's just, oh, you just have a kid and everything's going to be great. It's like, no, <laughs> it doesn't always pan out like that. My parents to their eyes, they had a healthy child up until I was three and a half or whatever. One day I woke up and my pillow was filled with blood and they didn't understand why. And then they rushed me to the hospital and they're like, oh, he has ITP and all this other stuff. And so... Good or bad, but I'm appreciative of the perspective I've always had. I've never, because it's, uh, I, I'm, I've made all the decisions I had to make the right way because I'm where I need to be right now. Yeah, and it's it's, it's who you are. Yeah. It makes you who you are, right? Yep. And so when you look at yourself in the mirror, you mm -hmm. gotta you gotta be happy with the person that's in yep. front of you, mm -hmm. no matter what what happened. Yep. But I'm glad you're good, bro. Thank you, bro. For real, appreciate for real. that. Uh, so yeah, I was just very appreciative of. Once I got out of that situation and I, first I never thought I was going to, I just thought, okay, cool. This is going to be my life. And then when I, they did, I, I got a, a surgery done and that kind of shift moved everything around. And then, yeah, maybe a year after that, I didn't have to go to the hospital anymore. And, I, and then high school started soon after that. So I finally was able to kind of have a regular life. And then that's when I started writing. That's when I, I actually started writing before that. I started writing for the first time, like in sixth grade, but it was all of that, man. Honestly, I mean, now come to think of it, it was, me just trying to find a way to let Express. some of this stuff yeah. off. I didn't know what it was at the time. But uh, the moment I, it started off with like battle raps. But the moment I was, I wrote one that was more personal was the moment I was like, oh, this is, this is different. This, I was able to get some off that I haven't been able to sit, tell anyone. And then that's when I was like, oh, I, paper and pen at the time became like my best friends because I was like, okay, I could talk, I could say things. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I wasn't speaking on, you know, with, to anyone else. Um, so yeah, it was, it was definitely the hip hop gave me my, as a young person, my identity. So, so you started rhyming when you were a little kid or like in sixth grade? Like I was in sixth grade with my homies, like where, where we would write, you know, after school, he would jot a verse, I would jot a verse, but we're at his crib kind of spitting it to each other, trying to figure it out still. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It wasn't like us. We knew what we were doing. Right? Where, where did you go to school? Uh, at that time I was at Jonathan Burr school out in, in Wicker Park. Okay. Uh, yeah. 
Um, and so, yeah, me and my homie at the time, Ricardo, we we always like rap. We used to write other, you know, the rappers lyrics just before you go online and get, you know, Google the lyrics and stuff. So we were, you know, stop, play, write the lyric, pause, play, pause, you know, whatever. Yeah, until you got the whole see, song done. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And then I would start I was like, Oh, how do they do this? How do they structure the verse? Yeah. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to write my home verse. And that's how it started. And then it was like a phase at that time. We probably did it for like sixth grade, all of sixth grade maybe. And then after that, it was kind of like whatever. And then, when I got to high school, my freshman year, I met my homie Gustavo, and he was writing, uh, just same thing, just writing bars on his on his on his notebook in between classes or in the middle of class. And I went to ask him, like, "What are you doing?" He said, like, "I'm just writing raps." He's like, "You want to write after what I finished?" And I was like, "All right, cool." I'm like, "I actually actually used to write." And he's like, "All right, cool." So then from there, that's it. Like he would just write a verse, and then uh, he'll give me the notebook, and I'll write like my verse after him. Or he'll write two lines, and I'll write the next two. And then I started, when me and him started doing that, other couple homies around us started rocking with it and started doing stuff too. And then when, yeah, I was probably like, uh, I think a sophomore, we recorded our first song. Some guy invited us to a studio, you know, it was one, uh, I think me and like four of my guys. And it was the first song we ever recorded at a studio. And again, we're in high school, this guy's telling us he's going to sign us and all this other crazy stuff. But I just... I stuck to it, man. I would go to open mics. Uh, Bate Urbano in Humboldt Park was really big for me as a, as a shorty, uh, as a 13, 14-year-old. That's where I went every Friday to go spit my little verse that I wrote that week. Uh, mm -hmm. It gave me confidence to be in front of a, a little stage, in front of a mic, in front of my peers. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the first time I ever would do something like that. And uh, there's another little coffee shop that my homie owned on Milwaukee by Western. And my homie Chantal's brother used to own it. And uh, same thing. I would just go up there and do my little open mic, sign up and do my thing. But the reaction I would get to pe from people very early on was like, um, it wasn't something that, again, man, you, you, you just try something because you like it and you enjoy it. But then getting that love from people like, and them connecting with something. I remember the first, because again, I started off just battle raps, right? So it's like, everyone's like, oh, okay, cool. But then I wrote a song that was like, the first line or one of the lines was like, uh, they say my name's Rafael, like something, right? I, I kind of said it like, but my name's Rafael, you know, Rafael, but my name's Rafael. Something simple. But it was this whole song about like not belonging, not being from here, not from there. It was like a first version of this other song that I eventually did called Chicano. Uh, but I would do that at the open mics. And it was the first time that people were like, they would come up to me. Like I could do all the battle raps in the world. But once yeah, I but did that song, that once I did that song, people would come up to me like, hey, man, I relate to that. That's really dope. And, yeah. and I was just like, okay, this is different. Like the people are are, are, are connected to the stories. Like it's one thing for someone who appreciates hip hop. They're going to appreciate the rap, the lyrics, the punchlines, the metaphors, da, da, da. But a, a person who just enjoys music, sometimes that's going to go over their head because they're just in it for the feeling. They're in it to try to connect to something and whatever. And so that's when I just, that gave me that realization of like, oh, I got a voice. I got things to say. I want to, yeah, that's, yeah. that's how people connect to, to music. On, on that on that strength, like, what did you see growing up that you wanted to change? Because you were, you were writing about these things, right? Yeah. So what were some of those things that you wanted to change? I think main thing for me is just like, exposure man like i just realized that i just wished we had more exposure to things because like let's say even at uh at 17 starting college it was the first time i grew up again west side of chicago northwest side of chicago mostly latino african-american like it just so for the first time in the environment that i was walking into there was people of all ethnicities of all classes you know i, I was going to northeastern at the time so even though it was a local college and stuff like that it still had 
it was a different feel than I went to Prosser, you know, I went to uh, Burr and, and, and you know, it, it's Chicago public schools. It's, it's the same kids that you grew up in the neighborhood. You, we know how it is. Right. And so, yeah, I went to Northeastern too. Yeah. So there you go. So then when I went to Northeastern, it was just an eye opener for me as far as like, okay, there's, everyone's trying to figure it out out here. And there's, you know, I could, I could sit, stand in front of someone in financial uh, aid line that had a check written by their parents paying off their full tuition for the year. And then I am there, you know, trying to figure out my loan situation or whatever. And then you just start realizing like, oh, this all kinds of, that's when I honestly, for the first time in my life, you start realizing like, oh, there's different kinds of people that have different lifestyles. And you always think like, you know, screw the rich, you know, we're poor. This is, but it just gave you a realization that's like, oh, this person kind of grew up like this and it's not their fault either. But, you know, it's just kind of like having sympathy and compassion towards one another and just kind of being, have a better understanding of the world. But it took me to go to college to kind of have that worldly experience. But the main thing I thought was just that exposure. Cause then I was like, man, if, if the homies knew that this kind of world existed, even the conversations we were just having in classes, things that I was thinking about that I wouldn't, I wasn't thinking like this in high school, just professors that would make you actually think. And, sh and I was just kind of like, man, just exposure. I wish that was one of the things that even to this day that our shorties had more exposure to things because even to, I, I rock with a lot of the, the kids still from little village. They'll still reach out to me whenever. And not too long ago, the homie editor. Yeah. He's been out of the school for now five, four or five years now, but he still reaches out to me. And he asked me one day, he wanted to talk to me about some, some stuff he's working on. I brought him over to the house to just talk. And on our drive, just from his house on the south side to the north side, he's like, hey, is this still Chicago? Wow. Right? He's like, man, it's, it's nice over here. Like, is this still, you know, let me hold this is, you know, and I'm like, not only that, but this is all you. Like, you deserve everything here, over there. Like, just that, man. Again, realizing that the, the, the lack of exposure and how much of a difference that makes when you're exposed to a, people of different lives, conversations that you haven't had. Uh, just people putting you onto things, food, environments, just anything where you're just like, man, this is different. There's more to the world. That little, whether whatever it is, but that little curiosity that those things bring is enough to want sometimes people to chase for more. And that's what I think was one of the bigger things that I always felt. And to this day, I think is a big piece to for us to to grow. I took shorties to college campuses and stuff like that that you yeah. could just see their eyes like, Man, there's a whole different world. And again, college isn't for everyone. And, you know, everyone has their own opinions on things. But those are examples that I have where you could tell kids were just taken from one environment to the other. And you could see the shift in them. You could see, like, same thing with the Beats and Bars class. Just, like, thought process. Things that they weren't thinking about. Things that they weren't understanding. It's just exposure. That's it. I think that's been one of the biggest things that I've come to understand. Is it's just a huge need, man. Yeah, I think that the reason why why we need that is because Chicago is a very segregated city, especially on the South side. Yep. You know, like everybody lives in their little pocket mm -hmm. and, and nobody comes, gets out of their little pocket because we're always told that you shouldn't get out of your little pocket because you're safe in the pocket. Yeah. If you go to the other side, you go to across mm -hmm. the street or you go on the other side of the viaduct, it's going to be, it, it's, it's territorial. Yeah. It's yeah, for sure. And then I just think in general, just, uh, like you said, it, it's, it's, you know, a lot of kids feel it's not safe to, yeah, to leave that bubble, to leave, you know, but I, that's been the biggest thing for me. I think once they get that opportunity, just your mind, you know, opens up to, to the possibilities, to other things, different people with different experiences, lifestyles, things that you just even, you didn't even think possible. It was just, a, couldn't fathom. It was some TV stuff or something like, so 
Yeah, man, I think it's it's a big thing to to get that exposure early on. Um, so I just owned up to what I was early on. Like, this is what I am. And it was the first time that I had something to identify myself with because we all look, we're all looking for that as young people. We want to attach ourselves to something. That's why a lot of brothers end up in gangs and things like that, right? Yeah. And so I wanted to attach myself, but I didn't want to be in a gang. So I was like, what can I do? And it was the first time I went to a local hip-hop show here. It was to see typical... Typical cats in Logan Square at some like uh, loft, yeah, second floor loft, dark as hell, uh, makeshift little stage, but they killed it, right? Yeah, and they're dope, man. Man, this is dope, right? And even them, the group was like one African American brother, one white dude, and and an Asian dude, right? So I was just yeah. already was like, oh shit, this is different, you know? Like, and then the crowd too, it was like white folks, Asian folks, black folks, Mexican folks, it was, or you know, Latinos, whatever. I was just kind of like, oh shit, okay, but again, because the, the and, th- and this was happening in Humboldt Park. So I was like, wait, this is my neighborhood. And y'all coming to this show here? You know what I mean? So it was just kind of like, okay. And again, I was like 14 at 15 at the time. And so it was, again, it was just brought the worlds together to me where I was like, oh, this this is, we all, we're all here because of the music. Y'all yeah. like the music. I like the music. Yeah. So this is the one common factor between all of us. And I was just like, cool. My homie Caesar, though, uh, visual at the time, who was Panic's, who is Panic's brother, who connected me with Panic. And that's how I got in the moment back then. Uh, he taught me the hustle though, because I was I was doing shows with him at the time. I was like his hype man, and he would let me do a couple songs, you know, in between the set. Um, but he would come off stage, and he he had a mouthpiece on him. He was you could sell a CD because he just he didn't care. He wasn't shy. He was like, "Yo, buy my shit." And I could see I was more timid at the time still, and I wasn't in front of people's faces doing it. And he walked out with money, and I did it. And I was just like. All right, I'm gonna change this because <laughs> I want to walk out with some money too. So then I started doing the same thing. It's just like yo, talking to people, and that's when I realized sometimes the people want to rock with you, but they're shy themselves, or they yeah. think you're gonna be whatever, right? And so sometimes they won't approach you, whatever the case may be. And I just had the benefit of people rocking with me. Honestly, I I've been blessed to be co-signed by some of the most respected artists from here in the city. At the time when I was younger, I was doing Chicago Rocks, you know, and I performed at Metro when I was 18. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I did stuff that at the time I was like, what am, why am I even here? Like, then I was just paying dues at that time, going pass out flyers, going to the radio station, meeting random people. And, you know, uh, and so I was just out here, bro. I was just out here. I, I got exposed to shit and I didn't care if anyone... They didn't understand what I was doing. My fam didn't get it. You know, Mexican parents, my sisters. Yeah, what was listen, that like? Bro, complete opposite. They never, it took for me to come out like on MTV and come out on the newspaper and things like that for them, for them to be like, oh, that's what you've been doing in the basement this whole time? Nah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Nice. Because before that, it was just kind of like, oh, okay. Or like when I would come out like with a CD, like they were expecting some like, and I was just like, yeah, I don't get what I'm trying to build here. And it's, yeah. I was, it was okay. But one, it was like, you don't get the music. You don't, you know, you don't connect with it in any way, right? They're Mexican. I'm talking, my mom and my dad listen to only Spanish music. They, I'm not speaking a word of Spanish in my, my shit. And it's rap, so it's fast and it's content that they don't want to hear, right? So there's no connection there. My sister's the same way. They all listen to Spanish music. Uh, so they weren't, you know, but I, it, it never deterred me. But my homie PNS, uh, from the moment when they told me, he's like, look, man, don't, don't stress about, like, your fam not. He's like, just, just worry about the day your mom needs to pick like which house she wants or like what color car she wants and stuff like she's they're not going to get it just work for what you want to you know what you're working towards and it'll happen and don't worry about if they get it or not he's like because one it's going to mess up where you create from 
And then you're trying to create to try to impress people that at the end of the day, it's not doesn't matter because the people you got to impress are going to be your fans and the people who are actually going to be at your shows. And, you know, and so I was just like, right, I got to just do what I got to do. And, you know, and so, yeah, it took some time. It took years, a lot of years for, for, you know, for for them to understand it. But it felt good when they finally showed up to a show. You know what I mean? It felt good when I finally got. Yeah, what was that like? It was dope, man. It was uh, surreal. Where where was it? My sister Anna came to one at Socalo Urbano, which was the Bate Urbano uh, spinoff in Pilsen. Mm. And so it was a little community space. And she went there for the first one of my my shows. Uh, so that was the first time a family member went. And it was just, again. How did she engage you after the show? She just like, I could not believe that was you on stage. Because again, out to, off of stage, I'm chill. I'm very, and on stage, I'm a completely different person. So she was like, well, I've never seen that side of you. And she's like, that's really dope, you know, whatever. So, and we had a successful release party at the dark room. And my mom and my sister showed up. Did you know that they were coming? No. So you were just No, rhyming? I was just performing and I saw and my you mom. you saw them in the, in yeah, the crowd? Yeah, That must yeah. have been powerful. Yes, it was, man. It was very powerful. Um, but yeah, I, 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 not, I cared less about it as I grew older, like as far as them getting it. But not that I, not that I cared less, but I just, I was like, they're going to get it when they're going to get it. Like I'm, it's, it wasn't as maybe as in important as when I was younger for them to understand why I was putting all this time in. Because at some point when I was younger, they were like, why are you spending all your time writing? Like, go outside and do something. And I was like, you understand what I'm like? I'm trying to like build something here. Right. And I'm trying to, but they don't, it's like, they didn't get it. They just, it was very hard for them to understand it. Um, and so then part of that was also as I grew older and I kept making music, why I made the transition to also make Spanish music and, or music in Spanish was because I realized that there are some stories that I wanted, not necessarily my parents, but uh, a wider audience. Yeah. Just a wider audience. And I, and the stories that I was saying, if I, I said them, if I, if I wrote them in English, the people who the story is intended for is not, they're not going to get to understand it. So it's like, I, that's what I was like. I got I to make the shift. There's certain stories that I got to say, but they got to be said in Spanish and, you know, in order for me to get the person that it's intended for. And so, but in that, that's when I, the first time I did songs like that, that was the first time my parents also were like, Oh, okay. Cause they could get a little bit of what I was saying. And it wasn't just BS and it wasn't like, and so they started I was also in a much better place in my writing. And, you know, by this time, I was really confident with my flow in Spanish. I was, you know, doing great at, at writing songs. So I was just talking about more uh, impactful things as well. And so I think it just finally made sense to them. Coming out in Tribune, coming out in, I don't know, Oi, a couple of TV appearances, things like that were just, it just reassured them in a way that I wasn't crazy all these years, that I was actually trying to do something. At the end of the day, most parents don't care how you go about doing that, honestly, as long as you do it, right? They just want to see their kids well off and, and do right. But I, I was just very headstrong about just doing it my way, you yeah. know? And, but along that, like you mentioned earlier in the intro, uh, I did get my, my degree and I did that for my parents, right? So yeah. uh, I went to school. I'm grateful for it because it has given me opportunities. I wouldn't have worked at the school where I met you if I hadn't gotten my degree. Uh, and so, but I, 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 I know for a fact at, at times when I felt like quitting, the reason I didn't was because of my parents. Cause I like, man, that this is why they came here. This is, they want to see their kids. And at this point in, in time, only one of my other sisters had graduated from Loyola. Uh, so I was like the last one that was going through college. So, so you have three older sisters, I have three older and sisters. then you're the baby boy. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah. Okay. 
Uh, my, my wife gives me shit about that all the time. Uh, but she's the only. She's the only kid. She's the, hey, bro. You know, <laughs> she's uh, she's the only girl on her side. Yeah. But she's uh, she's not the youngest, but she's the only girl, so I still give her shit. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so but so yeah, man. At the time, I just wanted to, I wanted to see that through for them too, right? Yeah. For me, it was it was a it was a different experience, mm-hmm. but I think it was because I was in the South Side. Yeah. Um, the South side is different. Mm-hmm. We're very tribal. Yeah. And so there were a whole bunch of cousins and family members that were like, bro, why are you trying to be black? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like, why are you trying to be black, bro? Yeah. Why are you hanging out with black people, bro? Like, and, and so I was able to, to be part of a crew. And then I, I was going to, to Inglewood mm-hmm. on the South side. And so a lot of people didn't understand that. The one thing that I was doing though, is I was b-boying. I was, I was writing graffiti. Mm-hmm. And and rhyming and producing and so it was just like everybody was like it's it's a phase, it's a phase. He, he'll get over it. Mm-hmm. He'll get over it. And so one thing that that was really important to my crew mm-hmm. was learning your history and learning your culture. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, a lot of those cousins that 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 approached me on negativity, mm-hmm. right, with with the negative vibe about like, yo, bro, why are you trying to be black? Mm-hmm. I would always be like, bro, I know way more about our culture than you do. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know about the Mexica. I know mm-hmm. about the Noxtitlan. I mm-hmm. know about the Purepecha. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. the Maya. And, mm-hmm. and so I was, like, able to break stuff down. And they were like, damn, why you know all this? And I was just like, it's important for, for, for us to know where we come from. Mm-hmm. The beautiful thing that hip-hop did, which is something that happened to you, was that it allowed you to be around a whole bunch of people that weren't like you. Mm-hmm. And it gave you a space. Yep. So it was like you were dope and you were dope because you were dope. It didn't matter what color you were. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter yep. what background you were, you how know much what, money you had. You know what was funny, though, bro? As funny as it was, though, because I think just the stigma of like specifically Mexicans in rap, right? Yeah. I I could come off stage and 99% of the time, no one would guess I was Mexican. They would say I was Puerto Rican. They say I was Dominican and black. They say I was <laughs> Mexican and black or something. Like I always had to be mixed somehow. Yeah. Or I just had to. So when I would say I'm Mexican, they're like, okay, Mexican what? I was like, Mexican. <laughs> like, what? You dope, man. I was like, so it was just funny though, because that's one of the things like it just, it was hard for them to grasp that I was like Mexican and yeah. rapping the way I was. But I think it was just, again, a lot of, there's, there's a stigma with like the Cholo rap stuff and certain things where like, they just thought like, Oh, Mexican rappers sound like this, you know, yeah. or Mexican rappers sound like that. And they kind of try to box you in. And then when it was just like, mm, I just rap. Like I know these, these are the rappers I look up to. Um, yeah. I, for that me, was, it was just like, I went, I went full force on like, well, first I got the nopal in my forehead. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So it's like, I can't think like I'm nuts. <laughs> and was like, I'm either Indian or I'm Mexican. <laughs> exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Like I get, I, I used to go to the Desi parties. Uh huh. And I'd be quiet, and as soon as somebody would talk to me, yeah, they would like, be like, "Bro, uh, you're not Indian." <laughs> They'd be like, "I'm not, nah. I'm not messing with you." <laughs> and I'd be like, "Yo, no." But anyway, so yeah. so yeah, but it it was just like so. I was just like, "I'm gonna go Azteca," mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And so I was just like, I ran to it. Like hip hop was always really really powerful to like, you know, I was going to the subterranean mm-hmm. in the open mics and 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 just like when the Pacifics were running there mm-hmm. or. or Rex yep. from the Pacific mm-hmm. was running it. It was it was it was an incredible time. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like Nacrobats, mm-hmm. like MUL, yep. Air Crew, DC Five, mm-hmm. like all of these really dynamic, like Phase Two Brickheads, yep. like all these really dope people were were doing really incredible things. Yep. And 
Uh, yeah, man, it, w- it was dope. Let's talk about like how you met the moment. Like we were talking about that earlier. Yeah. Like what did that do to you? you know? Yeah, man. Uh, I was 17 uh, when I met Panic and that was through his brother Caesar uh, Visual. He uh, he met me at that coffee shop. I said I did. Uh, I was doing on Milwaukee and Western. I did an open mic. Yeah. And he came up to me. He's like, yo, you're dope. I got, I'm gonna tell my brother about you. And I, was, I didn't know who his brother was. I was like, all right, cool, man. <laughs> nice. All right. And then I see the next day he called me. He's like, bro, do you want to work on some songs or something? I was like, yeah. So I think we ended up working on some songs. And I was just like, all right, this was cool. Yeah, you told me that he threw he threw you like three. No, but this this was this, oh, was this was his brother. That. This was his brother. This oh, was Caesar. Okay, so okay. I'm, I'm working at you know with him first. I didn't even know his brother was Panic. Okay, and okay. so we're just working on music. Nah, nah. He's like, cool. And then we worked on a song. He's like, man, I'm gonna show my, my brother this. Shit. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm like, who's your brother? He's like, panic for the moment. I was like, oh shit, for real? He's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And so I had a DJ, my homie Bim at the time was my DJ. And he go, Bim. I was like, yo, I didn't know Caesar was, you know, Panic's brother. He's like, yeah, yeah, man, whatever. I was like, all right, cool. He's like, man, you should go <laughs> try to get a beat from Panic. And I was like, all right, I see what's up. So then Caesar. <laughs> those were precious, dude. Yeah, like, right. People were paying top dollar for those. Yes. So then I was like, all right, cool, man. So then that's exactly what I thought. I was like, I'm going to go and he's going to sell me a beat, right? That's when I, I Thought the conversation was be like, but then Caesar hits me up. He's like, hey, my brother said to meet him at Gramophone, da-da-da. And I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. So I went to Gramophone. Panic was working there at the time. Um, and he was in the back room. He's like, cool, rap. I just fucking went. And he's like, dope. He's like, all right, cool. He's like, here's his BCD. He's like, go write some songs and come back. Then he just had it in his pocket? I mean, it was, they had their whole wall of CDs there at Gramophone. He literally walked to the wall, picked one of them, and gave them to me. Nice. And then I was just like, all right, cool, bro. Thanks. So then... I went home, wrote three songs at night, came, hit him back the next day. I was like, yo, I got some songs on. He's like, you got songs on on the day? I was like, yeah. He's like, all right, cool. Him by the crib, uh, played it for him, and he that's it. He's like, all right, cool. We want you to be done with the moment. I was like, all right. Sounds good. <laughs> Shuck on it, walked out. I called my homie Bim, and I was like, he's like, cool, man, you got the beat. Got a little more than a beat, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, what happened? Like, I think I'm part of moment. Yeah, I think I, I think I got jumped in. You yeah. know? I'm like, I think I just got initiated. And then he's like, what? Whatever. You you know, tweaking now again, bro. I'm six, seventeen at the time, so I was just like, oh shit. You know, again, two probably two, three years prior to that, I had just been like, you know, my homie Mike had just put me onto them, give me some B tapes. I got exposed to Vakil and Juice and all that through them and the the City Limits albums at the time, and I was just like, oh shit, these these are dope, right? Uh, and again, and what, man, what year was this? Like when you were seventeen? It was actually right, right, actually at, in two thousand one when I think I got with. Okay. The, right that year that I graduated from high school. Okay. That summer because I started at Northeastern. I met Bim at Northeastern. Man. Uh, he was in the hip hop organization. I joined that, and then soon after he became my DJ, and it was right after I met like the moment and all that. Uh, but the main thing that taught me, man, again, it was just like, yo, if you want to do something, it's possible. Like the difference between you getting something done and not is you doing something about it and not. Probably had a handful of songs written, you know, and stuff like that where I didn't even know where this that this could be a career option. Or nothing. So just having someone else like co-sign me and even at the time like them, right? Like I was just kind of like, okay, I got something in me. You know, someone else sees it in me too. Like I got something. And so, uh, yeah, man, just reassured me of, of, of my path. And at the time... I had just graduated. I had gone for a the Golden Apple Scholarship when I was in high school, right? Mm. Which is like the teaching scholarship, right? Yeah. And I didn't get it when I was in high school. That time I did it because I actually wanted it. They told me about it. My sister Anna was on my ass about like, yo, you can get a free ride. She knew what it was to pay for college. She went to Loyola and she had to pay. So she's like, yo, go for it. Try it, you know, whatever. 
try it. I didn't get it. So I was like, cool. I was bummed out about it, but kept it moving. So then when I was my, my freshman year in, in college, they gave us opportunity to do it again. And I went for it. But this time I was just like, I, it was more so to prove myself that I could do it. Yeah. And I just kind of went through the motions and I got it. Right. And so they accepted him and I, I got the scholarship. Dang, congratulations, bro. That's dope. But I didn't accept it. Oh. So, <laughs> exactly. So okay, this, why? You want to this is where those decisions that you make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is, this is goes exactly yes. to what I was man, I was looking at it right now, bro. <laughs> so, like what what are those fork in the road moments that you've had? So, that was a big one. So, I, I got the scholarship. Uh, I got the acceptance letter and I I went to go interview and did all that and I got it and I was just like now that I proved myself that I could get it, I was just like shit, now what am I going to do? And so to my family, they th- it was like a no-brainer. Like it was just like, well, I'm, there was no question that I was going to do it. So when I even brought up the idea of not doing it, it oh bad. man, it was pretty bad. Bro. Yeah, what, what what happened? My Just, sis, my sister Anna stopped talking to me for some time. Okay, she 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 thought I was very ungrateful for the opportunity. Uh, she rightfully so, right? As a responsible older person at the time, she was already in her mid twenties, had gone through college, understood the heartache of. And the hardships, I could say, of, of going through that and paying it on your own and getting loans and all this other shit. So uh, seeing her brother have an opportunity to not have to go through that. The golden apple opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> and not take it. Yeah. It was To her, it was like a slap in the face, right? Maybe to like our family, you know, my parents. You know, El esfuerzo, the, the sacrifice. Yeah, exactly, right? But it, I remember just riding, driving around, uh, I don't even remember who was driving. I just remember being in the back seat and just trying to figure this out of my head. Like, what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to tell my parents I'm contemplating about doing this? Like, I was going through it. And the reason, the only reason I thought of, uh, the reason I was not going to take it and the reason I didn't take it was because I couldn't fathom signing off my life at that time, like the way it was set up to like four years all the way through in college, you had, you had to do the summer program, so no summers off. And then the moment you finish those four years, you have to sign up to be a CPS teacher for the next five. So in my head, you're already dictating the next nine years of my life. Like, this is where it's going to go. Like, I have four years I'm dedicated to this, five years I'm here. And it would become a priority. Yeah, that's it. There's nothing else that I, because I'm, I'm fully accepting this and I'm, I'm not going to half-ass it. And everything I do, I go in. So it was just kind of like, all right, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And I couldn't live with that because again goes back to everything i've been through as a kid i'm like how are you going to tell me that now you're telling me what i'm going to do for the next 10 years of my life you're you're, here the moment i signed this i know that for the next 10 years this is where i'm headed and i couldn't there was a part of me that i just it didn't feel right uh so i did uh spoke to my i don't know who i spoke to first at this point but my dad's the conversation with my dad was the one that made me at peace uh, with my decision. He told me that we come in this world without nothing and we're going to leave without nothing. So to do what I had to do, to take Man. care uh, of what I had to do, that he respected whatever decision I made. You know, but... Uh, yeah, that had to have been like super so liberating. T- like, it, 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 like bro, the it moment... T- it, t- it took that... That's it. The moment he said that to me, my decision was made. Yeah. The moment he said that to me, uh. I didn't care. Yeah, my sister was upset. My mom was upset. But the moment my dad said that to me, for that very little instant, I just felt like someone understood me. Nice. And I and, my, and, and that my dad was at least not just stubborn 
for the sake of being stubborn and not trying to at least hear me out. Yeah, he and, was listening. Yeah, and it wasn't even, and it was just that. Like, I just I was like, I don't want to put the next years, nine years of my life, like, this is it. Like, I just, I couldn't. It's like, a, I'm a little bit too much of a free spirit in that sense where I can't do that. But it's always a, I mean, also know that it's always a, a, a duality. Like, just because I'm, I know you asked me, like, right now, yeah, this is what I do full time. But there's instances where this isn't what I do full time. You know, there's I have a family, I have a wife, I have a daughter, priorities, I have goals. Uh, and being an entrepreneur and being a businessman, um, I learned to hustle as a young man, but as a single young man, right? So yeah. you can have good weeks, you can have bad weeks, you get paid for a couple extra verses this week, you get a couple shows next week. Might be extra health wallet might be extra healthy one week might not be in a couple of weeks from now but you figure it out because it's yourself and you could do with peanut butter sandwiches or whatever sometimes right yeah. or frijolitos and tortillas whatever you got to do right to get by but once you're responsible for other people and you know just in general it's just so yes with that being said that's how I ended up working at the high school I've had to make decisions like that in my life too where it's like I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing but I have to also take care of my family. So I, to, to people, I always, you know, for us who take the jump, don't ever think it's also an, an easy decision and that, yeah. it, and that the jump is never just, oh, we jumped in and that was it. Oh, we we just been swimming the whole time. No, there's times where we get back out and then there's times where we jump back in. You know what yeah. I mean? Uh, so yeah, with that being said, don't always, don't feel bad for the decisions you make either because I, there's the same thing with the brothers, the homies that I've had. I, I wrote in a song, but I don't even, uh, I can't remember the line, but it was just that, like, <sighs> there's instances in my friend's life that they're reaching certain plateaus that I wish I was reaching, but I was focused on what I was focused. You know, maybe they had their kids earlier than I did, they had their house earlier than I did. They had certain things. Oh, I was just like, man, I'm not doing these things. I'm not getting the things done that I need to get done. There's also a part of me that, uh, that that part that we were talking about mm -hmm. that I admire people who who dove in right mm -hmm. it's something that I've talked about in 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 the in the other episodes of of the podcast but it's also something that just stays with me like mm -hmm. I I really admire people who dedicate themselves to to their passion and mm -hmm. and like figure out a way mm -hmm. right I think that you being honest about jumping in and jumping out right like not always swimming. That's the, like, thank you. Yeah. You know, like the, the listeners will hopefully, you know, see and feel the truth that, that I feel right. Like, uh, cause, cause trust me, bro, I, I've jumped in, I've jumped in where I nearly lost everything. Like I've jumped in, jumped in where the people around me didn't get it anymore. Where is it? Like, what are you doing? Why are you still like, you know, I've, I've done it to that point where you need the life experiences in those in those times as well to come back to what you're working on. And 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 sometimes you need that to sustain your business because if you're trying to build something, you need income, you need funds, you need finances, you need whatever. So it's like if you gotta do odd jobs, if you gotta do the hustle's the hustle. But my thing has always been like it comes back to what I'm building here. Like everything, everything I've ever done came back to here. Mm -hmm. Like whatever I it, lo cosechaba, whatever it was, it, it came back to this somehow. It, it, the end goal was always this. It was never like, oh, I'm signed up for here. I'm going to be here for the next 30 or I just did this. I'm going to be here for the next. No, it was like, what am I going to do? What, how is this and situation going to contribute? To how this? is it going to contribute to it? It's always the end goal. It's never not the end goal. 
So because of that, I've moved like that. And yes, family, friends, they don't understand that. My, you know, they just, it's not the normal way of doing things. It's not, you know, whatever, but I'm okay with that, man. Again, I, my life wasn't normal in the beginning. Uh, I've, I've been okay with me choosing to live the lifestyle I've been. I've been obviously very appreciative of just having the support system. Even when, even when my parents didn't get the music and my family did it, I still had a house. I still had a home. I still had a basement that they provided for me, you know, to actually create. So it's like, yes, they weren't like all over me. Oh my God, my son's so great at doing music. But they didn't stop me. Yeah, they supported you. They let me do my thing. So in those ways, I was like, hey, you know, my mom, my dad didn't have to make sure I had internet or didn't have to make sure I had a computer. Didn't, you know, certain things where I would, or, you know, I went out of my way to get turntables and things like that once, you know, I had my job and stuff. But I think it just showed them that I was actually interested in this. And like you said, it wasn't a phase. I think that was a big thing for them too. It's just, oh, he's going to get over this. And then it's just like, now I'm a grown man. And now they see me managing artists and doing other things. And they realize like, oh, this is just him. Man. This is not, this isn't a phase. <laughs> yeah. This is what he does. If you, if you could speak to yourself as a child, what would you say to him? Having an open mind, uh, being receptive to to the to your blessings um i think that a lot of times just not honing in and understanding like the power we have um i wish i understood that earlier on uh um and i think um the main thing keep keep doing you like in in my head little younger me just just do just keep believing. Just keep doing you because I've had plenty of reasons not to. <laughs> I've had plenty of reasons where most people would be like, all right, I'm done with this. It ain't this, it ain't that. And it's not even like holding on to something for the sake of holding on to something. Uh, because, I, again, I, I made a conscious decision a couple of year, years ago to to not continue dropping music on, on a consistent basis like I was and transition over to other things. So... Do your thing and understand that that along the way there's evolution and that it's okay. Um, and, yeah, the biggest thing is just, for me, be receptive of, of, of your blessings. Put yourself in the rooms that you need to be in to win. It's not going to happen at the crib. It's not going to happen in your room. Sometimes you got to step out. You got to meet other people. You got to... Especially in this business, it's a lot of networking. It's a lot of who you know. Um, so, yeah, man, I think it's understanding that um, it takes just hard work, perseverance. Um, but, yeah, I think main main thing I think I would tell my, my, myself as a young person was just keep believing in yourself. My skill set that I got through schooling and my degree and stuff like that and my experience through that, and then my musical experience and what I learned through life and all that, for the first time ever in my life that they f- align. Yeah. Never in my life had they aligned. Everything was always separate. My, my work life at the time, any, I worked in, in therapy with kids with autism. I've done all kinds of different things. No one ever knew I was a rapper. No one ever knew I did in music. My lives were two separate things. Man. I never, never. I remember I was working one time. I'm jumping in and out, brother. This is one of them. I remember working at Little Village on the high school. Same thing. I got hired for, you know, not for the music stuff at all. And I'll be working with the shorties, and I remember just them talking, like, man, I wish there was more like Mexican, dope Mexican rappers. And da, 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 in my head, I'm like, man, 
yeah. <laughs> spit these bars right quick. Yeah. But I never did, right? I just kept it quiet. And then until one time, one of the shorties, uh, they found my music online. I guess he said he was searching for like Chicago hip hop. Uh, nice. And he came across my shit. And so I was in the hallway, they're in the hallway, and one of the kids spit my, one of my lines. And I was like, Fuck. That's pretty cool, dude. It was cool, but I, they were trying to fuck with me. Uh, so then he said it, and, and as, as soon as I turned around, he looked at me. And uh, I was like, oh. So I kept it moving. I went into the classroom. The moment I went into the classroom, one of the other shorties was like, hey, Mr. Moore, I got to talk to you. And I was like, oh, <laughs> shit, I already know what's up. So the jig is up. So then uh, I came over to him like, what's up, bro? And he's like, you rap? I was like, bro, focus on your school stuff. Let's go, right? So I kept yeah. it moving. And they're like, nah, bro. And then some other kid called me over. He's like, yo, you rap or you got a twin? I was like, nah, I rap, but we'll talk later. And so then after that, the whole week, the story was that I, I rap. And everyone was like playing my music in the lunchroom and shit. And it was just funny, right? But then- uh, I remember telling the shorty who found the music, he came up to me. He's like, hey, man, you should, you should, uh, he's like, oh, you should, uh, I don't know what, like, look out for him or whatever. He's like, because I, I put you on at the school or whatever. He's yeah. like, I'm not going to lie, Mr. Navarro, if you were whack, I probably wouldn't have said nothing because I wouldn't want to embarrass you. He's like, but you're kind of dope, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I was like, cool, bro, thanks a lot. But from there, uh, I met Tat at the time. And for those that don't know, Tat was the resource coordinator for Little Village Lawndale High School. He was in charge of some programs during the day and some programs after school. So he was pretty much building the community school. He would build the enrichment programs. He was funding programs like the poetry group, like Beats and Bars, like the anime club. And so he had all of these young people figured out what they wanted to do and then would make a club for them. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I at the high school, he got me the funding for the program. And amen, then, amen. Rest in peace, Tad, bro, dude. That, you that know, dude earlier was incredible. I said how that time, that period in my life, Tad was one of the main reasons why that period in my life was meant what it meant to me. Right, his, tell me about Tad. Tad, his... It, I'll tell you my story. His his, his impact, bro. His impact. That, that, that was the lesson he taught me. I learned a huge lesson from him. And where it's like, if him don't matter what you think life has set up for you. Like, you know, so one of those, that was one. But the main, main thing I, that I walked away was one, his selflessness about just wanting to help, wanting to just good, just good when a person's good, right? Uh, but the impact, the legacy that he did, even in, in the short time that he was with us, the impact he had for so many, again, the same small realization I had in the Beats and Bars classroom was, oh, it was one me, but there's 20 of them. It's like, fam, Tet had hundreds of them and thousands of them, and he impacted that many people. That's when I, when I heard Shorty at his funeral, and then just in general, the, the, the report he built with them. Every, some people could be here 100 years and don't do that, bro. He had people dressing up in costumes, bro. Yes, bro. Like Care Bear costumes yes, bro. And, and just being cool with it. Yep. Like he made being a nerd and just being a geek, like, the coolest thing in the because world. Because he just was himself, brother. And, and yeah. again, bro, like just people like that, uh, you don't come across them often. Uh, he was so down for me too, for my program, for just, he yes. knew what we I was capable of. 
he came to me the moment he's hey man i heard you know you do music and he's like, i actually had heard about you in the past but i didn't even know you worked here he's like yeah let's do this program he was on it man he yeah. went out of his way to get me equipment to do whatever he could do to help yep, yep. yeah Again, so that brother selfless man that I, brother I honestly would be like you would be like yo i want to build a spaceship and he <laughs> would be like all right let's meet at four o'clock <laughs> come through the office and then sit down with him and he'd be like with a notebook a pen and be like all right how are we gonna do this and you just be like wow like he was he was an incredible yeah. person man yeah brother yeah so always any idea that you had mm-hmm. he was like maximizing it yep. and like being like i would imagine like a parent right like a parent that's like super supportive that would just be like yo let's do it yeah. all right yep you want to you want to do flips all right yep. let's this, figure out how you're gonna do flips exactly, right now exactly bro and to me that's the same energy he gave to all the shorties. So it just always felt like he was just receptive to them. He was open to their ideas. He was open to helping them out. You know, again, man, people clock in and out just like everyone does. You know what I mean? But there's there's a difference in certain people that clock in and out and where they actually leave an imprint in their jobs and in the community that they work for. He was one of those people, man. He left an imprint. Uh, he, you know, I mean, he left such a a big imprint that like even the people that followed him that got those positions after him, like Zuli, then Marissa, yeah, then Jeevas, uh-huh. like all of those people yes. are incredible, badass yep. people. I man. agree, man. I agree. And those are the t- type of people you need in those type of positions because they're the ones building with their youth. Um, Kinti. Yep. Kinti. I worked at, uh, at Enlace for some years in, in the street outreach program as well. Uh, working with the kids, uh, the youth out in the community, being a mentor, um, it's, it's needed. It's so, and so when you find those type of people that the youth actually connect with and then actually have a rapport with, there's no amount of money that you can pay those people because that those type of things are priceless, man. Uh, this is, you know, why, you know, we, we need to treat our, you know, not just the teachers, just the staff in, in these schools, man. A lot of these uh, people in these in these buildings are the support systems for these kids sometimes. Um, and I don't think we, they get the proper credit. But overall, just people who have that type of character, man, and, uh, uh, they're very valuable and uh, indispensable in that, in that way because they're needed, man. They're needed in our community. And so, yeah, Ted had a – he left a, a great legacy. And I think uh, all the people that you mentioned after him – amazing people in their own right. And I also think his legacy was partly why they had to live up to continue striving to, to, to offer that type of uh, support and service to the kids because uh, they knew how Tet did it. And he left, uh, he left the standard to uphold. And so I think for that reason, they outside of them having it in them, because you can't fake that shit either. Right. So outside of them being amazing people and having that in them, I think it also, uh, they, they felt that they had to do his, his work justice. So yeah, man, I, that's, that's a brother that, uh, every so often I think of in a, uh, life lesson overall, just something to, you know, to be mindful of, be appreciative, but that was it. My legacy. He taught me that. He yeah. literally taught me that. like, yeah. what do I leave behind? This is it. Like I leave with nothing. Like, yeah, I've always thought like that, but the big piece was the legacy. Like what? impact that i have what did i leave behind and honestly that's where like even though because then all the music stuff like okay cool i leave music i leave music behind and yes i get that but it's like what else who else did i impact like honestly that's why when i started beats and bars and everything i was like this feels so fulfilling mm-hmm. i'm happy i don't ever have to rap and do an album myself ever again this is beautiful here yeah. 
if all I if if I taught myself how to rap and I gained the respect that I did just so now these brothers could respect me enough to sit here with me and build with me, I'm good. Literally. And that's why, because I went from doing music full time. I had my daughter at 30. And then I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to half-ass music and I'm not going to half-ass being a father. So I'm just going to be a father. I, I can't really, I don't know how to half-ass shit. I, with my music things, just yeah, you're going to end up unhappy too because you're yeah, just because you're be not like, doing you're anything. Be cold on both, exactly, and I'm like be I, resentful on both ends. Exactly. So then I was just like, I was trying, I was trying so hard to juggle it. I was, I was, I, I was, I was trying at that time. I was like, no, I didn't know any other lifestyle. I, I had just been going, going, going this whole time on my own. In that sense, yes, I had my with my girl. I had been, you know, my wife. Now I've been with her at the time for eight years or nine years um, already. So I already knew that was solidified in a way, right? We, we had built a solid relationship, but I had the support from her where I was doing my thing, right? But now us having our daughter, I mean, just the sake of just being a responsible person, I was like, all right, cool, I got to figure this out. And so, yeah, I started working at some other place and then I got the job at CPS. But um, it was that process because I, I, so once I made that decision where I was like, I'm not going to make music anymore, I just stopped writing. I stopped doing everything. I just literally stopped. That shit was kind of hard because I went from being a full-time artist. This is all I knew. And I was honestly closest to my peak that I had ever been. Like, again, I when I started, I thought oh, I'm always going to be like just an underground rapper because I make underground music. And so I'm just going to be like this underground independent. And then when I started doing different shit and going a little bit, you know, just doing a bunch of random features and just trying shit where I just, I wasn't afraid of, I could do anything. I felt I could get on any beat. I could kill any beat. I could do it my way. I didn't yeah, care. Yeah, yeah. I just, I was. Even like write a song. Fucking. Like a Mariah Carey song. I was like, confident yeah, as anything. confident can be. I would tell my, 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 my manager at the time, like, yo, put me on a song with any fucking rapper. I will fucking, I will claim my spot on that song. I was just confident, bro. So. I went from that to then just stopping, right? And and not only that, but I was actually, this was the first time I had labels reaching out to me because I started also at the time, it was 2012, 2013, I, I started doing Spanish stuff. I did one of the first like Spanish trap songs. No one was really doing rapping over trap beats in Spanish at the time. It was this other guy, Los Racas out in Cali uh, that I thought were the first ones, but they actually said we're probably tied for it. So I was all right, cool, right? So this was back then, this was 10, 10 plus years ago. Those but records this, are dope. Yeah, records are fire, right? And those those are the homies. And they came to Chicago at that time. They kicked it with us. I met them in South by Southwest. So, yeah, it was, it was just dope, right? Uh, So then, but that was the first time I was getting reached out from labels. Like, Sony reached out to us. Uh, I was working with Mugs from Soul Assassins. I was trying to make some shit happen over there. Uh, I had They had hosted my mixtape. Like, first album I ever bought was Cypress Hill at eight years old. So to have mugs like co-signing yeah. me and shit, I was just like, again, bro, this is, as a kid, you couldn't have told me I was going to do it. Even that, even if no one ever told me, I'm like, fam, the six degrees of separation, a lot of times, even when I'm watching TV or shit, I'm yeah. just like, I tell my wife like that, 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 that. Oh yeah. yeah. Right. Just simple shit where I'm like, I've been in enough rooms. I've been in this long enough where I know who I need to know, or at least, right. But the biggest thing for me was just, once I made that transition over, I was like, cool, I'm going to stop 
the the beautiful thing was with Beats and Bars with that is again it tied both of my lives together for the first time ever. Yeah. And at that time period, it saved me because it brought me back to being a creative. From completely stopping, now I had a reason to be creative. Yeah, you had to now you I, had to show them yeah, how to do it. I had to show them how to do it. And, and you couldn't I, be whack. And yeah, I couldn't be whack. And I was actually this was now was all the years that I had been trying to gain respect as an artist. Yeah. Now like my family a lot of people just they were respecting what I was doing yeah. because uh, because I was now teaching kids how to do it and whatever so it was a different perspective on it yeah where it just it's not just self-serving it's yes. like you're you're doing something yeah. for other people for other people and not only that but I understood the power in that and as much as you again I mean I consider myself to be a good-hearted person I wish good on people I'm not out here trying to do malicious shit to anyone or nothing I just I live my life you think that sometimes that's enough to just be like good to your not to cause harm to anyone, but it's like, what are you doing to give back? What are you doing to? Um, and I wasn't hadn't been doing anything. I, my life was very again self serving, bro. And you don't think of it as you're going, but it is. It's just because you're trying to reach your goals, to do your things, to help your family, to do you know. But I think that it's because when you like when when you're when you're young you're so involved in being young and this experience that you like dive into that. Yeah. And then that just, you just keep on following that road. And that road is just like, like you were saying, like the artist is just like, to me, literally yeah. my career was like every win that I didn't think I, or that came to me because I wasn't necessarily expecting it. It just pushed me to go for the next win. Like it was, it, it was just Man. like, Oh shit. I, I got written up over here. Great. I got, and then you'll be, oh shit. It just kept stacking up. So it was it was an addiction, man. It was, honestly. I was addicted to making sure that I was and I couldn't stop. I couldn't I just because again, I had been the closest at this time period that I, I never thought Relay was going to reach out to me. I never just because again, that wasn't the space I was in. So then when, when these things started falling into place, I was like, okay. You started so, seeing light. Yes. But then going from that to a lot of things falling down in my personal life at the time where well, I was like, well, what's it worth if all I'm fighting for is this? And, but my personal life is going through shit. Uh, everything I've been working for, it's not going to matter if, if, if everything else is falling apart. So then again, just conscious decisions and my daughter. Um, but once I was able to bring those two worlds together, it's been the most, yeah, bro, the most, the best experience I've had. Uh, I mentally go back to it a lot. I had, I was still working on the program. We were actually expanding it to other high schools and stuff like that right before COVID and then COVID hit and then we, we, we didn't continue pursuing it, but I actually was talking to, uh, to someone today about bringing the program back. I, my intentions don't stop with that. I just want to make it bigger and I want to make it more accessible. Um, and so that's, that is, uh, Definitely still something I want to continue building. I think one of my goals is to, I always wanted to have a community center like type of space. Yeah. But the the reason I felt beats and bars worked and, and this is why I did like the mobile studio setup and stuff like that, because I remember being at the high school and having shorties who wanted to go to the boxing gym, but they didn't want to walk over to the boxing gym. Yeah. They couldn't, right? It wasn't their side of the neighborhood. So then that's when you start thinking, okay, if I'm going to build a community center, I want to build it where it's needed. 
But then you're going to have that situation where there's going to be certain shorties that can't walk over there. So then when I started doing beats and bars think, yeah, in it, at the Enlace office, and then I could get those kids in that neighborhood to come through, and I was doing it at the high school, and then I get the... Then that's, oh, that's powerful because I'm now I'm bringing it to them. I'm not, you know, yes. I'm, yeah. And then I started, because then I started taking these kids from Beats and Bars to Loyola to do a little radio interview. I took them to get, a, you know, to do a video. I gave them the, the like, for them to feel what it is to be yeah, an the artist. Exposure. The exposure, the experience to be like, oh, shit, I'm shooting a video now. Shit, I'm doing an interview. Like, I could do this. Like, you know, yeah. I, bro, to me, that was That must it. have been super empowering for Th them because they, was, they were just like. Yo, they'd call their homie like, yo, never, I'm doing a video, son. From never writing a 16 to like by the end of that program, they have a whole album. A lot of the anger that we had sometimes outward towards other things, we've now unfortunately have brought it into ourselves and that's causing a lot of chaos, right? Amongst just the younger generation and why we're losing so many young rappers. Uh, but I think that, again, spaces like Beats and bars made me realize like a lot of these brothers, how, all they need is that. How do you, so now, now yeah. you're managing these artists, yeah. right? How do you like, uh, do you talk to them about, I'm, I'm positive that they would, they're tempted to like do the trap mm -hmm. well, like style of representing your hood mm -hmm. or representing yourself or representing your crew, right? How do you, what do you tell them? Do you tell them anything? Do you I mean, just let them, I, how, do, how do you, how do you engage them? For sure. So as of right now, most of the artists I've worked with don't have that type of content. Okay. It has been somewhat of a conscious decision for me. Yeah. One, because I mean, me, myself, that wasn't my content. Like I was, I could talk shit with the best of them, but it was always, I also had uh, different kinds of songs and I was never talking too crazy. Yeah, and this so, is part of loop theory, right? Yeah. So then, as me as an artist having that ear, I know, and and have and hearing other artists that are capable of that, right? Where you could hear, you could you could gun talk, you could street talk, you could whatever. It's just how? What are you saying about it? How are you saying it? Is it even halfway intelligent? Are you actually trying to tap into something? Are you like whatever, right? So, so personal preferences and where I want the type of music I. I think that we need in general, that's what I'm going to go for. So for the most part, I'm, I'm not going to shy away from the realities of the shit we live in. And, the, you know, so I don't ever want to tell someone how they should and shouldn't do their art. Yeah, limit them. I don't want to do that. Sometimes you just need to shed light on people and let them realize it themselves. Yeah. And so it's just teaching them about that too. A lot of the, the initial conversations when I had with Beats and Bars, when, you know, the ops and this and that, I was, all right, brothers, who's... We're talking about these guns. How did the guns get here? Let's just start with that. Then everyone's looking at each other like, what do you mean? You got gun stores here? Or how, did, how, did you, how, how do all your homies, why are the homies packing? Every one of your homies packing, why? Why does everyone have a gun? Where do they come from? Let's just start with that. And now let's take another step further. Who's the real ops? Right? And then you start having those conversations with them and they're like, oh shit, okay. Cool. Did you choose the neighborhood to grow, that you wanted to grow up in? Or was that chosen for you? Oh, okay. Did you, did your mom, did, or... Okay. And you just, just things that they're like, oh, pre-wired to believe or pre-wired to think or whatever. And then they're like, oh. And so those first sessions were just that, man. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think they gained the respect for me in that sense where I was relate, I was relating their everyday life shit, but just making them think about it a little different. Um, so yeah, man, uh, as far as the content goes, all the artists I work with for the most part in loop theory, I mean, have R&B artists, I have hip hop artists had to have that conversation. 
in the instance with the other brother that because I mentioned. The, yeah, that's who you're investing in, but you're also investing in the other brother. But and I'm, I want to, and I'm going to continue. I just don't want to he be. Needs to see it. I don't want to be the bearer of that message. Of I don't. I don't want to bring that energy shut, into the world. Shut that person down. Not only that, but just in like me to like to back fully back up. Like again, you could do both. You could talk about it. You could. I just don't feel like there's ever need. There never needs to be truly glorified. Yeah. I just you know just talk about the reality of it, like the hardships, the good shit, the bad shit. Um, and I think you could still. I, I there's nothing more hip hop to me than a real dude or man or woman, whoever it is, who, whatever story it is that they're, but that they actually, that's who they are, that they fucking, that's what they rap about. That's what they live. Like what better way than to, and that's why I was like, sometimes I tell the young brothers like, man, you understand like you putting this kind of energy out there. Like you're going to have to be looking over your shoulder. You're going to have to like, you're testing people's, you're testing people. You're yeah, testing. you're showing everybody that you have a diamond chain around you. Yeah, your and, and they're then, all yeah. Be looking at you like. But not only that, but it's like, and, and now it, it's just, again, the overall energy. And it's like some brothers don't know any better. I've dealt with those brothers too that just don't get it, right? They're just like, it's just not, they're just very stuck in their ways and this is how I'm going to do it. Cool. But then you tap into the brothers when I when you actually have them sit there and they, they write some shit that's like, hey, fam, you, you, you're gifted. Like, this isn't just like you. So why are you shunning yourself? Why are you, because in, again, in those, uh, in those situations, you're as authentic as it gets. So people will fucking, they'll eat out, eat out of your hand. But if, if you're trying to feed them the same shit everyone else is feeding, then why are they going to eat out of your hand? Yeah. But give them, give them what you offer. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah I think that just loop theory as a whole. Um, and what I'm looking, the imprint I want is just good music, quality music. And one of the things that has been really beneficial recently is that, like, man, it's so dope to just, like, dive in and, like, learn, mm -hmm. you know, and have time to learn. Yeah. And, uh, and, and and one of the things that I've really appreciated, and I think that it resonated with me because you talked about it, like, I feel about it is just, like, I'm able to, to enjoy mm -hmm. doing it again. Yep. Yeah. You know, one thing that's really been hard, though, uh, I told you that I've been sober for, for six years. Yes, sir. It's hard to write. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's a whole different mind frame. Like when I was writing, you know, when you're making a puzzle and mm -hmm. like the puzzle pieces fit perfectly yep. and you can feel it. It's just like it fits mm -hmm. perfect. And it's just like up until now, I'm finally feeling that again. Yeah. Naturally, yeah. like being able to write something. And and so I wanted to tell you about that because whenever we ran into each other in the hallway mm -hmm. and I was like, yo, we should work together. I was also dealing with this writer's block that mm -hmm. I had where I was just like, I didn't know how to do it yeah. sober. Got it. I, I, I think I needed to, 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 to find my rhythm in it. For sure. A again. Yeah, And for me, I think at that point, I in my head had already... I wasn't rapping anymore. Yeah. I wasn't, that wasn't, so I didn't have the enthusiasm. Maybe you would have talked to me a couple of years prior to that, because in my head, I was like, I'm trying to figure what's the next move right now. Like I'm, you know, and yeah. me rapping or me writing a verse or anything, even to this, I'll, to this day, <laughs> I will try to give myself that time. And during the time, sometimes I'm like, 
it could be doing something that's more productive for the unit. Like, I'm, what, what am I really going to do with this verse right now? Like, it's just kind of just self-fulfilling again, right? But sometimes I need it, and so I get it off. Uh, but it's, again, in comparison for the majority of my life, how I lived it, I mean, my wife would always say, she's like, I don't know how you come up with all this shit. Like, how do you have all this shit in your head? Like, how do you just... Now, and that's the thing. Today, I could sit down and I'll just I could come up with shit like nothing because it's, just, it's now second nature. But I just don't give myself, allow myself that time to do it. But uh, there's not, I, there's nothing for me more fulfilling in in those as far as being creative. Like I'm not thinking of anything else that's happening in the world for that little instance. I'm not. I don't have any worries. I don't have any concerns. I'm not. Just focusing on the beat, making sure my flows are fucking you know seamless and whatever. Like I'm not so. So yeah, man. But I'm excited. I'm excited. If you ever want to work on some, let me know. For sure, man. I'm, but uh, little by little, I've been toying with the idea of of working on some stuff. Uh, I've actually these last year I've been writing more uh, like corridos and stuff. Man, <laughs> uh, the Spanish stuff. Yeah, so that uh, real quick, and I know that your time is precious, and I want to, yes, I want to respect that. So good. there are a couple more questions, yeah, yeah. but the the one question because you just spoke on it mm. is like, how did you get into corridos, mm. and and um, and what are the impact? Like how 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 have you felt the the reception of that? For sure, man. Uh, I was just had been in tune these last couple years to just the shift that was happening with the younger generation of, of Mexican artists, mm -hmm. uh, specifically out in Cali, um, and then just all around. So my nephews put me on, I started paying, I was paying attention to the music from before and I was already fucking with it. Cause I, a lot of things that I was hearing as an artist in myself, I was, had always been trying to tie like hip hop and Mexican music somehow. Yeah. I could never find the producer I could never find someone else to work with that kind of understood the sounds that were happening in my head. So when these young brothers, the the reason I was attracted to it right away is because like, I re, I'm like, all these kids are hip hop kids. Yeah. Real quick. Where's your family from? Uh, Mexico. They know a lot of, well, my mom is from, uh, sorry, my mom's from San Luis Potosí. My dad is from Matamores, but they were raised in Olaredo, Tamaulipas. So. We're, we're, we say we're from an old Okay, okay. All right, so but go ahead. Right at the border, yeah. So, um, again, first music I ever fell in love with, first music I heard at the crib was always Spanish music, Corridos, Ramon Ayala, Carlos Jose, all that stuff, right? Yeah, that's why I was asking. Yeah, so that's what I listened to first before I listened to anything else. So I, I grew up with that music always. But, yes, in school or in high school, it was always an older gen, uh, older genre, right? It was it wasn't for the youth, so it was never. It was your chore music, yeah. yeah. And not only that, but it was like never cool to listen to it, right? It was because hip hop was ruled everything, right? Yeah. And so, be, being an, a, a Mexican American kid, but being exposed to hip hop and being exposed, like, yeah, I like the music in Spanish, but look how cool this hip hop shit looks, right? So, and yeah. how dope it sounds. So, I was obviously attracted to that as well. But I always, again, so through my own artistic stuff, I started tapping into the Spanish stuff and all that, trying to bridge those gaps. So then when I started seeing the Corrido stuff happening, the younger generation understanding it and like, again, realizing like, oh, these are hip hop kids that just chose this route instead of the hip hop shit because for whatever reason, right? But it's like, no, no one's wearing sombreros anywhere. Everyone's got, you know, hoodies and Jordans and, you know, uh, 
everyone's talking how they're the best shit, you know, hip hop, boastful shit, you know. Now they're talking, you know, this shit in between records. No other genre does that, but hip hop. So it's like, this was to me like, oh, this is just hip hop in now in, in corrido version, right? And and it's like, and and more than anything, I was happy. I think a lot of times there was a, I don't know if it's maybe the not necessarily the generational thing. I don't think sometimes just people for whatever reason choose to deny their culture, right? For whatever reason, we've had a lot of unfortunately. Mexicanos from certain, because again, we try to assimilate, you know, especially first generations. We're trying to go to college. We're trying to do, some of us assimilate a little too much, right? Yeah. And where we try to be too much uh, in, in where it's, oh, I don't listen to Spanish music or corrido or knuckles shit or whatever, right? Yeah. But I was never like, proud of who the fuck I've been always. And uh, so to me, it was just second nature. And more than anything, I fucked with the music. I love the music. I was like, yo, these kids are dope. This shit's dope. Like, I, and then and then what brought it home to me was my nephews really started getting into it. My nephews started bringing their guitars. They started learning how to play guitars. They're singing corridos. I'm just like, yeah, okay, this is infiltrating everything. Like, this isn't just, so I was just like, okay, this is dope. Like, I loved everything. I, and But more than anything, like, I also felt no one, and no one is giving hip-hop its props in that circle. Like, no one is saying, hey, all this shit is, a lot of it is coming from hip-hop. A lot of it came from hip-hop, the styles of this, yeah. the that. People are halfway rapping on these corrido beats now and shit like that. Uh, now the corrido guy is also doing trap records in Spanish. So it's like all these lines are being crossed, but no one's acknowledging. No one's actually saying, hey, fam, all this shit came from hip hop. But it's like everyone's taking the sauce from it. So I just want to be, I want to be that, that the same way as an artist, I was here to bridge that gap. And I felt I was, I held, I was well-respected among circles where I could bridge that gap. I want to do it on this side now. I feel like no one is necessarily speaking up on that. No one is giving its credit where it's due. Uh, and no one is uh, blending the the cultures in a way where I feel, in a way that I confidently feel we could do it here in Loop Theory. And so that's why I started Loop Theory International. Because again, the same way, the reason I started Loop Theory was because I was like, oh, there's a lot of, I started seeing the next generation of Chicago hip hop, right? The guys that came under me were the ch the Chances, the Vic Mensas, the Sabas, all these guys that somehow figured it out on their own independently. So I was like, okay, cool. This next generation, and then in general, the whole overall uh, consensus around young people was like, oh, I don't want to sign to a label anymore. I want, I, I want to try to do this shit independently. I could upload my shit now and whatever, right? So I was like, these artists don't want labels. They want business partners. They want managers. They need a team around them. They don't necessarily want to sign to a label. So then that's why I was like, all right, I'm going to start Loop Theory. I'm not going to start a record label, but I'm going to start a management company because that's what they need. They need guidance. So same thing was, it was just as easy to do Loop Theory Internacional because it was the same thing. There's a lot of young grupos. They, I feel like a lot of times uh, everyone's trying to uh, get a slice from the same pie. You know what I mean? Everyone's kind of, and so I was just like, maybe if I come out from this outside perspective, cause I'm not coming from this scene in particular, I'm coming from hip hop R and B world and I'm bringing it over here. I think we have a sauce that's special because everyone else is trying from the other side. Everyone's coming from the corrido side, trying to break into now this other side. And, and, and no matter what, it doesn't sound as genuine. Sometimes it doesn't come off as, and so I feel like that's the advantage that we have. But more than anything, I realized the same thing. There was young talent here in Chicago that needed that guidance. So I uh, I started writing for my nephews. 
And so that's where, again, I just kind of got into where I was like, okay, this is dope. Because now I got excited because I was able to do the things that I had been hearing in my head as an artist all those years before, where I was like, oh, I could do it here. So I was like, cool. So then I started doing that. Um, and then I picked up a group called uh, Generación Especial um, and another guy uh, called Es Chicano. Uh, es Chicano does pop, corridos, reggaeton. He does across the board. He's a great artist, producer. Um, and then the guys from Generación Especial, uh, I heard Lalo, uh, se llama Lalo Tumbao. His voice, they're all 18, 19 years old. They're all young, young men. Um, but I heard him, I mean, I just, right away, I was like, yo, it's, it's fire. Like, and, and again, man, it's beautiful to see that it took the younger generation to not run away from our culture, but to run to it. And that's why I respected these young brothers and sisters. Because for so many years, we were told that that shit wasn't cool, that that shit wasn't, that we, so it's like, fam, the older people that should have gotten this and that should have been the ones to like, like get it, we're shunning it away. It took yeah. the younger generation to be like, nah, that's yeah. us. I want that. I'm going to make this shit cool. That shit takes, bro, that shit is, so to me, that's why I'm like, yo, it, to me, it's, it's an open playing field right now. The same way it was in hip hop. It's this, this, this is the first phase of, of this. Yeah, you're this the is, first wave. This is only going to grow exponentially and yeah. it's only going to take different styles. The same way there was reggaeton years ago and yeah. it hit where it hit. And then it took years for someone like Bad Bunny to come. And to take what reggaeton was and then reinvent the sound and make it fucking worldwide is going to be the same shit with this, bro. And I'm going to be in the mix of this. And that's the only difference is that I feel yeah, you could see it. the most at peace that I've ever felt with everything that I'm doing because this is who I am. I don't have to front and fake none of this shit. Man. I am as hip hop and as all this shit as it gets. And I'm as fucking Mexican and as all this shit is. Like, I don't have to fake. And that's why I was, when I was giving you the example when I tell I was telling the brother that, you know, about the beats and bar stuff that he, you know, I'm like, you don't want that energy. It's like, why, why, why not be able to be yourself? I, I want to be able to be in an interview and I have to be tough and hard or this because I got this image to uphold. It's like, this is who the fuck I am. Like, I'm good. And so if you're confident in who you are as a person, like, it doesn't matter what another person necessarily thinks of the art or this or that. You just got to do away with that, man. Like, it's just, that's why you are who you are. That's yeah. why you have taken that chance on yourself to put yourself out there like that and why other people don't, you know, so stand on what you do, you know? Yeah. So that's it with the corrido stuff, man. I just, I, I fell in line with it. I love the music. I, and like I said, it, they inspired me. The younger generation inspired me because for a lot of years, we, we were as, as older Mexicans, Americans, first generations, a lot of us ran away from it. I did it, but a lot of people didn't. And I could see that shit. And I never understood it because this is our heritage. This is who we are. This is our culture. This is what our parents, you know, everything was. And it's like, so again, for the younger generation to get it, to be like, no, nah, this is us. Now nah, I'm going to reinvent the sound. No, nah, I'm going to. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I respect it. I love it because that's the only way that we're going to evolve, that things are going to change. And it's going to take for younger people to take chances on themselves. You kind of already touched on this, yeah. but like, what advice would you give to somebody that's getting into music or that wants to do the corridos or wants to do the hip hop or, or, or it just wants to take music and, and, and like sure. live that lifestyle. I would say, or even manage. Yeah. You know? Okay. So I would say two things for the artist, for the new artist, for the person wanting to put out music, I would say trying, not trying, making sure that you, you find your voice first, find 
like I think a lot of times people nowadays artists because you could easily upload a song to YouTube or SoundCloud or anything like that that you right away think that the first song you record has to be uploaded or some people have to hear it. It's okay to work in your room for a year before you ever put anything. It's okay to work in your room with no one else. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, and I think just give yourself the opportunity to grow because it's one of two things you could grow and develop in front of people, but that it could sometimes be very slow and not everyone's going to stick around with you for that, for that uh, development and that growth. A first impression (laughs) means a lot. Like we know, right? So, I think just give yourself that opportunity. Don't put that pressure on you that you like people are expecting your music to come out. No one is necessarily waiting on you. Like just trust me, and and that's not a bad thing. Like no, yeah, because you could surprise them. Yes. Why? What? what, Imagine if you would have waited a year or two to hone this perfect project, and no one knew you did shit. Then when you drop that shit, all the homies are like, "What the fuck? This is what you've been working on?" Saba did it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. There's people that it's like, no, I'm, I'm going to perfect my crap. And so that's it. I think for younger people, because I think that line before you, we could record a song, but it didn't leave our computer because we could burn on a CD or whatever the fuck. But that was it. Now it's like, yo, I just got to upload a button and that's it. It's, it's up for anyone to hear. So it's like people are hearing the shitty song that the artist probably should have never put out. And that's going to be, well, I'm not going to check his song. This shit was whack. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to wait till he gets good in a year or two. Like, you know, whatever. I'll come back, you know. I'm going to go listen to the shit I do like. So it's like, just give yourself that opportunity as a new artist to find your voice, be comfortable with your music and and put out a product that you're, you want, you want to stand behind just because you put a verse to a beat and you're like, Oh, let me, it's, it's okay. Like just, it's, it's the same way. Like the guy who's shooting, you know, fucking baskets at the, you know, at, at, the, at the court, he's, he's not saying he's in the NBA the next day. You know what I mean? It's just, I just, so it's just like, Play your position, do what you got to do, put in your work. And so that, that would be the main thing I think a lot of, a lot of artists could, could gain from because I think we just put pressure on ourselves that doesn't even exist sometimes. Uh, and then for the people that want to manage, uh, I would say work with artists who, who want it just as bad as you do. Uh, work with artists whose music you really, really, really fuck with. And you, you have to fucking... Yeah, you have to really like the music because if you don't, then <laughs> there's no motivation to want to push it. So for me as an artist, that's my as a as a as a person with an ear of an artist, I that goes first and foremost. I'm in the music business. I want to make sure my product is a one. So you know, just making sure that, uh, yeah, and just obviously make make good decisions on behalf of the people that you are responsible for. You know what I mean? Uh, think of them. Think of of how your actions affect other people because now it's you're on their clock they're on yours it, it is a big responsibility um, someone else is putting their career uh and their life in your hands in a way right because they feel that you could help them navigate this this world so um yeah you 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 know just um uh, make sure that yeah you make you, you do good by the people you work that's it man i think you can do good business do good by people and uh still be successful how can people reach out to you uh yeah man, uh social media um or my email uh social media scheme navarro instagram twitter uh facebook i think how do you spell it scheme is s-c-h-e-m-e just the way you spell scheme and then navarro n-a-v-a-r-r-o uh, i was my for the f- 
majority of my artists' uh, life, I went under Scheme. Uh, so a lot of my early releases were under Scheme, the stuff on the moment and all that. Um, and then when I started releasing stuff on my own, or no, actually when I started releasing stuff in Spanish, I made the decision to switch over to Navarro because I got interviewed at Univision and the lady said esquema. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, no, nah, that's not going to work. And I'm going to really be doing the Spanish. And at this time I was really tapping into that market. So I was like, let me switch it up. But then I was also older where I was like, I felt too old to try to come up with a rapper name. Yeah. So I was like, man, I'm just use my last name. Navarro. So it sounds kind of cool. Like, All right, fuck it. Uh, so I went with Navarro as, 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 a, as a name. Uh, I went for the last releases that I've had. Uh, but yeah, so Scheme Navarro uh, on social media or booking at looptheoryinc.com is my email. Um, anything Loop Theory related or anything like that, you can check out loopdeary.com. Uh, but yeah, man, we, uh, we're an artist development company, uh, management company here in Chicago. I am here to put the next generation of Chicago music out to the world, help them out, help the artists, um, just help them learn about the just business, music business and, and just have, uh, partners that they could build with, man. So when they do walk into these labels and they do, walk into these brands uh, for partnerships and things like that, that they have some leverage uh, that they built shit on their own. And uh, we're not here uh, waiting for any of these companies to save us. You know what I mean? We're here to build our own shit. Like yeah. I told you last time, or I told you earlier too, I don't think we got to destroy you anything to build what we're going to build. I think we could do it side by side. Whoever does it, there's a lot of people who don't agree the way things are going right now in the music industry and the things that we have yeah, streaming yeah. is crazy. So, and that's my thing. It, it, the structure works for the people that it does, and it's worked for far too long that that's not going to get dissimulated or, you know, dismantled anytime soon. So it has, it's going to exist. So my thing is just like, cool, let that exist. But I know there's enough people in this world unhappy with that system that if we could side by side build another system that could work just as well for artists, give them the option. And then the ones that want to rock with us will rock with us. And I think that I am... I'm comfortable in doing it. And then another piece I didn't mention is we also do distribution with Loop Theory. So I also, normally people distribute, they have to go through a third-party company. They have to go through CD Baby, TuneCore, whatever, right? DistroKid, something to distribute or one of the boutique distributors, right? Uh, we don't. We have our own software. We deliver straight to our platforms. I don't have to go to a middleman. I don't have to go to a third party. I am the party. <laughs> so... Not a lot of people in the Midwest or not a lot of people in general have access to to this. So um, I'm able to give just distribution options to artists uh, out here as well, as opposed to just managing them. So we're also able to distribute uh, something that Ghazi out in California did with Empire, who is someone who inspired me. Um, so, yeah, man, we have a lot that we have to offer. Um, I've built and we've built something really uh, great for the city in the last couple of years. I think now these next couple of years, uh, it's going to be just time to show out and show what we've been doing man, so far. Thank you very much for mm -hmm. coming. Thank you for, for your time. Yeah, for sure. Bro. For your knowledge, for uh, your experience, your story. Thank you. All right, brother. Well, thank you very much for, for coming. Yeah, no doubt. So uh, thank Appreciate you, it. Uh, Rafael thank you uh, Scheme Navarro yes, Jr. Sir. Yes, sir. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, always representing and, and uh, really, really fresh uh mc but now we know that you're managing and that you're doing an incredible things bro thank you very much for sharing your story appreciate it brother thank you all right thank you for having me 500 and growing 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 podcast dedicated to the underdog
Cause I see you Working on your craft, getting strong Cause I see you Ready to set it off and on Cause I see you Correcting all that is wrong Cause I see you Dedicated to your craft Read and study the math Making goals and taking a stand Original so you trailblaze a path In tune with your inner master Master plan Visit 500andgrowing.com For more creative content Thank you for listening to the 500 and Growing Podcast. Remember that we have incredible guests that have featured in previous episodes. So please look back in the archives and listen to their inspirational stories. And remember, go to 500andgrowing.com for more creative content. 500 and Growing Podcast.